0: everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we're chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year, and breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and this year we're taking a look back at the season so far, with highlights from episodes featuring Christina Applegate, Helen Mirren, Dominique Fishback, Daniel Radcliffe, Iowa DeBerry, and more. So let's get to it, starting with our first episode of this new season featuring House of the Dragon star Paddy Considine. Now, he told me that executive producers Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik offered him the role because they wanted his sensibilities to shine through in King Viserys, a guy who's trying to maintain calm in his kingdom, even in the midst of his grief over his wife who died during childbirth and during his own failing health and impending death. I wondered if there was a specific moment that he thought exemplified the King's heart and true character. Have a listen.
1: There was a few, Mm. you know, and I I only say that because I've had a strange journey with acting, you know, and there's times I've wanted to quit acting Mm. because I've never felt good enough as an actor, but I was always searching for something. Something kept me in the game and, and wouldn't allow me to quit. Um, and and I just wanted to sort of transcend, you know. Sometimes you go, I just want I want to touch the gods too, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to be as good as that guy. Mm-hmm. And there was just whether I was good or not, I don't know. But there was just something about my final speech in in episode eight around the table, mm-hmm. and there was just something about that. Maybe maybe the best bits didn't even make it into the cut. I I don't know. But there was just something walking away from that scene. I left the building before they'd even, well, they said, that's a rap and thanks, Paddy, where's Paddy? You know, and I'd gone. I could mm. just hear him. I was at the door and I was just. Well, like, that was
0: production rap for you? Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, wow. And I just walked out the building and.
0: Uh, walked out after being carried out uh, yeah. <laughs> on the chair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I,
1: just, I just went out and I just went, I think I did it. Mm. You know, I think, mm. I think I did it. Um, I, I, had to, I had to shed a lot of uh, things to get there. A lot mm. of nonsense, you know, a lot of fog, <laughs> mm. and to, to, to get there. And I and I think, for the f- first time, you know, I'd, I'd managed to make it work.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah, right. So in those regards, this uh, this role must mean a lot to you. Yeah, I love him.
1: He's. he's, he's I, I love Ferrer. Is truly. I did. I, I don't think I've ever loved a character as much as I've loved him. I think it was an honour to have been offered him the part. And I, I, it gave me a fantastic opportunity, that character. He was for me. He was meant for me. And uh, no, I'll be grateful. Like that final death scene, I never watched mm. it. And I was sitting in another room and my wife knocked on the door and she went, you have to come and watch this. And I went, I can't. You know, I can't because I don't want to see that I, I'm – I'm shit. <laughs> no, I don't want to see that. You, you weren't, by the way. No, but, you were, you yeah. know, I don't want to yeah. see that. I don't want to see it. And she played it to me. She played me the key bits of that episode eight, mm-hmm. the walk into the throne room, and I went, okay, okay. And there's something about that final moment that just shocked me because I, 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 I looked like my father looked when he was dying. And I don't oh. want to, you know, kill the vibe, but – it, it, it. I didn't. It didn't just remind me of him. I looked at the image oh, wow. of my father when he died, mm. and that. Did was, you tell the makeup
0: team that? Did, uh, did they, uh, they
1: know that? No. Oh wow. Mm. No, and I, and I couldn't. So
0: that know. was tough to watch for yeah, different it, reasons. It, it was really yeah. tough. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mo Star Mo Amer was wonderfully thoughtful and funny as we dove into his semi-autobiographical series about a Palestinian refugee living in Houston, trying to obtain U.S. citizenship, and decades later, still learning secrets about his father's efforts to provide safety and protection for his family before he died. Here is a bit of my conversation with Mo. As I was watching the show, um, and we see the flashbacks, um, you know, to to when the Gulf War starts. You know, I remember, I don't know why I have this very vivid memory of being
3: uh,
0: in fifth grade, coming home from basketball practice one day after school, the one and only year I ever played basketball. Um, but I remember hearing on the radio that the Gulf War had started. And then there was just this, uh, you know, on American news, this deluge of seeing all the footage of the of the Scud missiles, um, and, you know, so that, like, that was all of the imagery. But obviously, as a 10 year old, I wasn't processing what was happening on the other end of that, that like what families like yours were going through. Because all we were hearing was, you know, it's about Saddam Hussein. It's about the regime, whatever. But obviously, families are so intimately affected. Um So as you're going through the process of writing this show, w- was it... uh I, you lived it. You've you obviously dealt with it for many years. But did you still find aspects of writing the show and, and putting your story together as therapy, or that's something that was all kind of like long gone behind? And and you and your family had dealt with it.
2: Yeah, no, it's never like gone for sure, but it's definitely cathartic. It was a lot of moments of, of just like healing. There was moments where you know, um, you know, stuff with my father was real, like him getting tortured and all that was was real how i found out about his torture that was in episode 3 that's how i found out about my father's torture and it was like recreating that was deeply painful and then doing the 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 scene with um you know the confessional scene where he's just you know finding an outlet and his girlfriend's trying to help him you know i realized that i never mourned it And I realized that I never really gave it the appropriate time or just really, or even like being focused on it so much to where you like envision what he was going through in that moment was, I never, I've never done, I had never done that. It's something like, I guess like I was just like protecting myself and just naturally just pushed aside and never really dealt with it. And after we filmed the scene, there was a, you know, there was this, everybody was just so moved by it and was calm and almost like hard to make eye contact with me. And I was just feeling, cause I've never made, had been so vulnerable on camera like that before ever. And I, I just remember one of my mentors telling me like, you know, be so honest in your comedy that it's hard to make eye contact with you. And I never had that, experience until I film it. I was like, why is it, was it, you know, was it t- like, oh my God, I was so getting self-conscious he, right? because right. I didn't know. And I'm a comedian. I was like, oh no, is that going to get mean to death? Me like crying is going to be like the Jordan meme now? Like when oh, I started no, having no, no, all these no, like things about it, like they're so ridiculous. But it was just this moment that was so real. And, uh, You know, still gets me every time, but I'm just happy I did it. I'm happy I did it and I went there and I think that that's like the essence of – I think that's like there's no magic trick, but if you're – the magic trick is to me is like getting so hyper real with the story and connecting with something that is just scary, Oscar and Emmy winner Helen Mirren
0: commanded the screen this past year on the Yellowstone prequel series 1923, where she played Cara Dutton, wife to Harrison Ford's Jacob. Now, Cara isn't just a housewife. She plays a big role in helping run the ranch, even making deals to protect it when her husband can't. Here is Mirren when I ask how much she considers a character's purpose as part of her process. Earlier in the series, uh, you're, you're writing went to him or journaling, as you call it, but not really because that seems too narcissistic, mm, I think, yeah, is yeah. the line. Um, you know, Kara explains to Elizabeth that you're doing it for purpose, to have something to do to take your mind off of everything else, I suppose. Um, later, uh, I believe it's the next episode, we see Jack elaborating um, on Kara's purpose. He's speaking with Elizabeth after she's uh, miscarried. Um but to the, to the point of, uh, you know, a, a character's purpose, is that something you think a lot about as you're developing, uh, you know, who, who a person is?
4: The process in, in this is, is really interesting. It's, it's something I've never been a part of before in the, in the sense that the creation of the character, of the future, of the past of the character, and of the future of the character is an ongoing, developing thing. Mm. You know, certainly it's it's completely true to life in the sense of I don't, I didn't know what you were going to be like coming here. You mm-hmm. know, I, sure. it wasn't something I'd read and rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Um, and life is like that. Life is a is a constant sort of um, improvisation and and a surprise. And and so I love that element in doing this kind of work, it, not knowing what's coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Because it seems to me that's how life is. Um, and it beca- but in, in, in terms of acting, it, it does become a sort of extraordinary adventure of, of, of creativity as you go along sort of Mm -hmm. thing. You can't, um, uh, you can't come to this sort of work with, with a very clear-cut decision about this, it's going to be like this. And, Mm -hmm. um, you have to be open and uh, to, 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 Changes and um, you know mutability, if you sure. like. Sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it makes sense. I mean, and, and of course, very different than something like the Queen, where you know Queen Elizabeth. Oh, very purpose. different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Her, her purpose was. That's a perfect there from analogy
4: <laughs> to, yeah. you know, knowing her history,
0: mm-hmm.
4: who she is. We know what she sounds like, what she looks like, what she walks like. Um, you know, her clothes are, mm-hmm. The order in which she puts her clothes on, you know, mm-hmm. um, and 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 what her future will be, right. you know, down to the coronation I mean, not yeah. the coronation, the, the, the you know the funeral, right, right, everything mm-hmm. planned.
0: Yeah,
4: Cara is the absolute opposite. Nothing is planned. Yeah, nothing is planned.
0: Yeah. Well, um, here's something I wonder: if this was planned, or if it's something else that we will learn. Uh, Cara and Jacob have no children. Um, so w- what can you say about that? Is, is that anything that you've discussed with Taylor? And what does that bit of information about her, how did that inform your your portrayal?
4: Women in that generation were very much expected to have right, children. Right, right. Um, women maybe of all generations are always sort of expected mm-hmm. to have children. And a lot of women don't have children mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, you know, whether nature has stopped them, um, their, their own bodies have stopped them. Mm-hmm um certainly in that era you know you go to any um uh cemetery and it's full of children right yeah um from you know from 6 months to sort of 11 12 mm-hmm. um and especially in the first 5 4 or 5 years of life so many children died so many women died in childbirth, childbirth mm-hmm. incidentally um um so um You know, we don't know the exact history of that, whether, um, uh, I don't think it could have been a choice as such, because Mm. you get the sense that that she and Jacob had a sort of, were very sexually in love with each other and, and, um, you know, enjoyed that. But I, I also get the sense that they enjoyed their, when it became clear that they were not going to have children, the freedom that that gave them to pursue their lives in a different way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think is it's, it's sort of evident. You don't, I don't think, and I don't have children, um, and I don't have this sense of loss in my life at all, mm-hmm. I have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a sense of grieving of the fact that I didn't have children. Mm-hmm. So I guess to a certain extent I'm putting myself into Cara on that level.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and of course she did become a, a surrogate mother and to, to, to her surrogate nephews. Mother, absolutely,
4: yeah. very yeah. much so, and, mm-hmm. and, a, and a fierce supporter of the family. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. As I am within my family, incidentally, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Mm-hmm. On the CBS sitcom Ghosts, Utkarsh Ambakar and Rose McIver play the owners of a small hotel haunted by ghosts of past residents. Rose's Sam can see them, Utkarsh's Jay can't. And it certainly complicates how those scenes are filmed, as they explain to EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez.
5: Walk me through what it's been like to navigate how to film these scenes multiple ways with, with different numbers of people involved.
6: I think you just don't want the technical to override the creative. Like, it's, it is a very technical show, and there are so many, um, logistic elements like that. Like, yeah, whether it's eye, matching eye lines or, um, energy levels when people are and aren't on set is very different. Whether it's, um, you know, like remembering the, the sort of placement as somebody barrels past you, whatever those, those things are. You just don't want that to get in the way of all of the fun. It should, it should, it should be invisible and it should be innocuous, um, all of that technicality. So hopefully just not taking up so much time that people don't get a chance to play or give alt reads or um, do those things, which, which, you know, when there's 10 people in a cast, not very many people, like we have the most patient group of an ensemble who might have one line in a scene and have to do all of everything with everybody every time. And it's, it's, um, just making sure that everybody feels like respected to get their chance to do like their fun bit basically.
7: And to, to that, I think, and Rose brings it up often, we preparation is key for a show like this. And we are, we have benefited greatly from our directors being extremely prepared. Mm. Our DP, our crew, our camera department, everybody kind of knows how to shoot the show. We have, we have, um, Ghosts pass, and then in French, Saint Fantôme, which is ghostless. Mm -hmm. We sort of know what angles we're getting. Our um, Daniel and um, Simone, our A camera op, they know exactly where to go and where to shift. And it's it's really a testament to the preparation of our directors um, that we get as much done in the short amount of time that we have.
6: I agree. And for all those, all of those, like the camera operators, the sound designers and operators, it's like, there's so much, um, when something's technically challenging, actors can be the people who are like least impacted by that. And, you know, there are so many people who are waiting to hear if a line is improvised and do they need to move their boom over and get it in time. And it's like, it's hard. It's a, it's a challenging job, but everybody seems to have a good time at work. And um, I really think we pride ourselves on that is that we, we want it to be like a a, an environment where all their good, hard work goes appreciated, not um, not just kind of, oh, that's just another, another job. We're always try, very aware that it's hard to do what they do. Yeah.
7: There's a lot of donuts. Mm.
6: A lot of donuts.
7: We have a lot of donut days and coffee <laughs> days, coffee <laughs> truck days.
0: If you have not watched the series Swarm, you should, if for no other reason, than star Dominique Fishback. She plays Dre, super fan of a Beyonce-inspired pop star named Nija, whose fan base is known as The Swarm. So when people, be it those she knows or strangers, hate on Nija, she hunts them down, even in different states, to kill them. But the show is about more than that. She's someone who's in the depths of grief after her best friend and adoptive sister Marissa gets killed. In fact, that is the character creators Donald Glover and Janine Neighbors met with Dominique to play. Have a listen to how she convinced them she should be Dre. In getting this role, was it an audition process or did you get like a kind of straight up offer from uh, Donald and Janine?
8: Yeah, so I just finished actually filming Transformers. Flew back from Peru. It was like October of 2021. And uh, my team, I was so tired. My team was like, hey, Donald Glover has a project and he wants to talk to you about it. I'm like, oh, shoot, Donald knows me. That's pretty cool. And he's thought about me for a project. Uh, They told me they wanted me to watch this film called uh, The Piano Teacher. I watched it and I was like, oh, it's a French film. And I was like, this is a lot. I don't know if I'm actually brave enough to play a character like that. I was like, I don't know why they want me to watch that movie. But I met and talked with them and Janine was like, oh, it's not that. It's just a a character study. And we wanted to show that from that film. Um, And they said, but tell Dominique which role you want her to play. And they said, Marissa, which is the role that Chloe Bailey ends up playing and she does it beautifully. They wanted me for Marissa originally. And I was like, after they told me this whole thing about Dre and I was excited because I was looking for opportunity as an actor to really show just how much I can do and the versatility that I always felt that I had inside. So I was like, oh, man. So I told my team after, listen, like you can tell them thank you. I, I, I'm honored, but I, I don't want to play Marissa. I want to play Dre. And my team was like, OK, you might have to fight for Dre. You might have to audition. I was like, if that's the case, so be it. And mm-hmm. I got on the phone with Donald. Let me find my gloves. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah we'll
8: I was like, ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I got on the phone with Donald. And he said, "Well, tell me why." I said, "I just don't want to catch up to my own self as an actor." And he was like, "Well, it, well, we didn't. We thought of you for Marissa because we're used to seeing you in roles that make you feel very familiar. You feel like somebody that we know. Our sisters, our our friends, and so that's what we automatically thought. But if that's the role you want, that's the role you get." And oh, I was almost like, what? wait, that I was on the phone is- thinking like, did this really happen? Or am I, was he hypothetically speaking? But no, it, it was, it was mine just, just from asking for it. And then I had to think, oh, I don't know what she's doing in the rest of this show. And I got nervous.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, so that was going to be my next question. How much did you know about her journey before you yeah, said yes? I knew Not
8: everything much. they told me, oh. but I didn't know. How, you know, people could tell you, but you don't know how it was executed. Right. So I knew I had one episode and wanted to do it. And then I got two more and I was like, no, I need all of them. I need all of them. And they weren't ready yet. So I had to just kind of trust the process and uh, ask them to that. I could be a producer on the show because I knew the type of care that I was going to bring, not just to to Dre, but to the entirety of the whole show. And um, they made me a producer and I, I was, I felt imp- more empowered to like speak and like, kind of be very clear about what I think and um, have open conversations about it.
0: Mm. I am like standing up in my head, cheering for you. I love that. Thank you so much. Do you think in hindsight that telling Donald why you wanted Dre, that there was something in telling him that, that he was like, Oh, I, I get it right here in front of me. She is kind of, Exuding uh traits of dre that <laughs> which is kind what of that, which but, well that there was that there was kind of that um that that like you're you're going after what you want you you know what i mean there's there was a certain kind of strength in it almost i don't I don't know
8: yeah uh, maybe i I don't know he he just he said i read someone in interview that he said he recognized that in itself and how he wants to be challenged in his own like acting career, um so he understood the desire to want to do something different than what people have known you as. And and for me, I just felt like I didn't want to get put into a box Um, into my own create, like my, even, even within myself, I have been used to playing characters now that were easy easier to digest, easier to relate to. And I didn't want to get afraid because then Transformers was going to come out. And then there was another character that's easy, easier to kind of put your arm around. And I didn't want to get stuck in my own mind to be like, people like seeing me like this. How could I shake it up? So I wanted to shake it up before I got too afraid. And now that I've shaken it up, I, I hope that that opens many more doors for me to do wild things or whatever it is.
0: Speaking of, there's another wild story at the center of the series, Bad Sisters, co-created by and starring Sharon Horgan. Now, Horgan plays one of five sisters, four of whom hatch a plan to kill their sister's abusive husband. It's darkly comedic, especially as plan after plan fails. Have a listen. I want to go through this list of some of the kill attempts because... Um... <laughs> after a few episodes of watching it kind of struck me I was like there's a little bit of a like a roadrunner Wiley Coyote dynamic going on completely where they...
9: there is yeah. we even reference it in one of the episodes
0: yep. you know it's, uh, it's it's so good okay let me go through the list there was the gas leak of the cabin explosion <laughs> yeah. he was outside trying to use the cell phone God. Uh, poisonous food the dog eats it yeah. uh, paintball <laughs> the instructor gets shot in the eye instead <laughs> uh, drugs nasal spray Tried to drown him in the tub he wakes up but then he goes to the Boat and falls off his boat <laughs> so you're like oh okay and he gets saved and then i think it's the last one becca tries to lock him in the freezer but it's not that's him. it that's it okay so did you have a longer list of things and then you figured out which which ones worked or was it always those
9: um no we there was a longer list I, i'm trying to remember there was a in the original there was um there was a hitman um, they paid someone to to try and uh, kill him. There is definitely a couple of others that have just gone completely out my head, but I think we just, you know, um, went for the ones that felt like they would be the most fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, they're trying to to. Kill him with the Rehypnol and then um, the 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 almost drowning was um, one of my favourites because mm-hmm. um, we just needed to find ways for them to try and fail really badly, you know, <laughs> and and also for there to be you know a pileup of collateral damage like the poor doggy yeah. and you know his his mother.
4: Yeah, that was the
9: worst. That was the one we sort of um, you know toyed with the most because mm. we thought will an audience allow us right to get away with that and will they still be on the team of the sisters mm-hmm. but they they were okay with it they you know obviously it was it was heartbreaking but mm-hmm. um but yeah they they let us away with that i think i think it was really about you know at that point they wanted him dead so badly that they yeah. kind of forgave forgave their sisters anything you know
0: well yeah because as you're saying that i'm thinking i wonder if it's almost a situation of like you 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 had kind of earned the ability yeah. at that point to do it versus like you know the the ask permission yeah. you know or forgiveness well one situation. of the hardest
9: ones was the first kill attempt mm. because at that point you you know you don't you're not so fully ingrained in the world or yeah. the sisters so you had to see him do something really bad mm-hmm. to understand why someone like Eva would, would get behind it. You know, she's a reasonable woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, she hates him, but she's not a killer. Right. But, um, you know, that was the tricky thing. Just like, is an audience going to believe that these women would do that? But, you mm-hmm. know, it happens. Yeah. Right. The,
0: and that, that explosion, that was live, practical. You were there. That was feeling it. That, the heat. Was our,
9: that was our one go. I was going to say. Blowing that cabin. We were S hitting our <laughs> pants. We were terrified it was all going to go wrong and the guys who we'd employed to do the <laughs> explosion they were so laid back they were just like walking along with their whatever <laughs> it was petrol i don't know but you know we were like no really? big deal to them are you that they were they were taking their sweet time and we were like i was sweating um buckets cuz i was so sure it was going to go wrong uh, we were going to blow this house up to smithereens yeah. and something would go wrong and we'd have to build a new house or whatever mm. But yeah, we um, it worked, and mm. and when it when it exploded, the the terror that myself and and Sarah Green were, it was genu- was genuine because you know it was loud and it was hot. Mm.
0: Ugh, it's such a good show! I cannot recommend it enough. I also can't recommend taking a quick stretch while we take a quick break. We have more awardist highlights coming up right after this. Welcome back to The Awardist. We're taking a look back at this season and sharing highlights from all of our interviews. So let's pick things back up with the one and only Christina Applegate. While filming the final season of her dramedy Dead to Me with Linda Cardellini, Applegate was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which was already impacting some motor skills, including her ability to stand or walk for long periods. But the cast and crew, she says, were wonderfully accommodating. Here is part of our conversation. Through all of that, obviously, you're, you're processing it, dealing with it, learning those kinds I of things. I couldn't deal with yeah. it at all.
10: I had to work.
0: Right. You know, I'm still then, working right. 12
10: hours a day. And it wasn't until we stopped till it hit me yeah.
0: as hard as it has. Oh, okay. So, so you just focused on the work, got through that, and then you, you dealt with like, the real matter at hand. Well, did you find it hard to be funny through all of that?
10: I found that to be my repose, mm. really. I found the moments where we didn't have to feel that Linda and I could just be silly and make moments that made people laugh. Like whether it was on the set or the viewers, it didn't matter. It just made us laugh. Those were my repose. It was my break. It was my breath.
0: Yeah. Makes total sense. Been been there, not to that extent, but I I completely get that. Um, In general, then I will ask you, because I, I just think you, um, not everyone's got this, but you are one of those people you would probably say, like Melissa McCarthy's one of those, Gene Smart. I, I watch you, and I think you're one of those people who understands so innately delivery and tone and timing, and not everyone's got that. So, all of that said, do you find comedy in general easy? No. Just because of the many years you've done it? No.
10: No. It's way harder. Mm. I, I find it way harder because it is it is look, I feel that in order to have comedy be effective, that you have to do all the same work that you would do if you were doing Hamlet, if you were doing anything else, you have to have all the the discipline and the work that you would do for anything else. And then you have to find this weird place where you twinkle above the noise, you twinkle above Reality. And if you go too far, you're into sketch. But if you can hit that pocket, you can feel that pocket. And that pocket is like, it's, it's, it really is like science. And for me, you know, I don't know what it is for anybody else, but for me, I know when I've waited two more seconds to deliver something the way that I have to deliver it, I can feel it fall flat. So I know like you got to get back in, but all the work has to be done. If you're just walking out there going like, I'm so funny and it's not it's not effective enough to me for my taste, you know, like, yeah, when you watch like Spinal Tap and, you know, for years, people thought they were actually a band. That's brilliance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, That's brilliant. People were like, oh, this band, they did this weird documentary. I remember being in, you know, when it came out when I was a kid, and they're like this band, they're really ridiculous. And to know that it was these like American dudes improv that's genius. That's, that is comic splendor, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned.
0: Betty Gilpin combines comedy, drama, sci-fi, a multi-genre mix on the series Mrs. Davis. She plays a nun, Sister Simone, who's on a mission to stop a Siri-like artificial intelligence. To prepare for the role, she even met with some real nuns. EW critic Kristen Baldwin wondered what misconceptions they were hoping to dispel with the character. Have a listen.
5: They didn't seem to bothered by how they were portrayed in media. Like, you know, it wasn't really on their, the, the, the three women that I talked to, we didn't talk much about, um, you know, uh, uh, dispelling, you know, they weren't putting pressure on me to dispel all the cliches of of (laughs) nundum. Um, Nundum. You know, what I talked to them about was, um, you know, the, the relationship between Simone and Jay uh, in, our show is very literal and I see him and touch him and kiss him and he's my husband. And, um, I have proof right before me that this is a real person. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, in my research, I hadn't realized it's not a novel device of our show that we created that nuns are brides of Christ. Mm Like they are, they do wear wedding rings. They, Mm -hmm. um, have wedding ceremonies to Jesus. Um, in a lot of at uh, certain nuns put on wedding dresses and their father walks them down the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not that literal, but uh, they, there are there they they are married to Jesus. And I I didn't really understand that. Um, and you know I think part of Simone's journey and the show journey uh, is realizing. You know, it's not like I have this secret VIP relationship that the other nuns don't have. They have that too. Margot Martindale is also married to Jay. Mm -hmm. She just, her faith is so strong that she doesn't need literal falafel being handed to her or... (laughs) Or the safety of being able to see him all the time you know she doesn't need proof, you know right Simone having Celeste as her mother, <laughs> you know <laughs> she still has that in her DNA that she needs proof of something um and you know, in talking to these nuns, it was just such a you know, I am not a person of faith in my life, but talking to people who have a very real relationship with something that they don't have proof of um was so it was very beautiful and inspiring i mean particularly in a world where we're living with our phones in our hands at all times providing any answer that we might need or any proof that we might need right proof specifically catered to us in our echo chambers of course but um you know i think uh you know i have a two and a half year old and um i think about oh, God, so many moments in my life that shaped me and made me were moments where I didn't have the answer. And I was fumbling on my own uh, through a question. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't safe. And it wasn't guaranteed that everything would be okay. But I got to the other side through my own existential wandering. (laughs) And, you know, I think about, you know, what when we're introducing AI and, you know, having these robot puppies giving us the answer all the time, do we eliminate that part of life? And I think the nuns that I spoke to have not eliminated that from that. That is their life, right? Wandering and touching something inexplicable is there every day, whether or not I hold the same belief system or not, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like they're living screens of asking questions. Um, They were, incredible.
0: On the new series, The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Morpheth Clark and Ismael Cruz Cordova play Galadriel and Arendir, two warrior elves, but both very different in the way they exist in Middle-earth. They spoke with EW senior writer Devin Cogan.
5: Both of you obviously play elves. You're from, you know, with different histories and, you know, kind of from different parts of Middle Earth. I'd love to hear from both of you about kind of how do you approach playing like an ethereal, immortal being? Maybe Morpheth, I'd love to start with you. I mean, how do you want to approach like the
11: physicality of playing a character like Galadriel? Um, So I think every character in this is kind of, don't think any of us as actors can say that this is our thing. It was a huge collaborative experience. We were really lucky that, the stunt team were a big part of like our physical selves obviously but also we had Lara and Tallulah who were like our movement um directors and we were like discussing yet yeah, loads about like what animals they are and we kind of were like slightly cat-like slightly fox-like this idea that kind of that they're also the big cats were kind of really useful because you know if if an elf cracks they can be really scary, but otherwise they're laid back and kind of cool. Um, and also I what I found really useful was um, thinking about how they see things and how they see light. And Lara um, had loads of pictures of crystals with light refracting through it. And she was like, I like to think that the elves kind of like see a bit like this. So even that when you're just looking at stuff, you're thinking, God, they're seeing so much more than I could. So it's kind of like thinking, I, I like to think that they were kind of having a sensory overload of some sorts
12: yeah
2: they I'm,
11: feel and see so much
12: when they're with each other i think mm. they it's different than when yeah. there's other beings around That yeah. is just actually overwhelming you know to be around so many humans and mm. other kind of races um yeah i mean i think it, it the movement the the for me was very important because i'm i get singled out as a different kind of elf as well. So I wouldn't rehearse or do sessions with the uh, higher elves. I had like my own
11: yeah, session. Center. Yeah. Yeah.
12: And they had uh they had a separated to also um use those elements of visual storytelling to tell a little bit about the difference in culture as well, the difference in hierarchy, the difference in setting. Um and it was extremely useful to 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 create that and to shape it and to give it also uh, original influences since I've had the privilege of, of playing a new character, you know. So that was yeah, that was extremely helpful and a big challenge as a as an actor.
11: I like thinking of like, do you know when a car's you nearly know, gonna run over a pigeon and they don't move out the way until like the last moment? Like that's all relative. Everything's kind of around them like Ooh, mm-hmm. a bit slower. Yeah. Oh, I, do love I
5: love
2: that. that. No <laughs> <laughs>
5: And, you know, Ismael, I know you've talked a lot about how you've always wanted to play an elf. You've kind of like had a fascination with this. Like, tell me a little bit about, you know, kind of wanting to craft a character like Erendir and kind of getting to put your own stamp on this wholly original character.
12: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's there's so many layers to it um, and I can't separate one from the other. My 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 journey towards the role was as much as artistic as it was uh, personal and personal. Um, and of visibility you know so it's it's all intertwined there and i and it all impacted how i created my my character and that wanting to always be an elf was met with a lot of opposition even when you know i was in my teens and a lot of uh feedback that it uh, wasn't the right skin tone to be or skin color right race to be it so that whole journey i say i've been preparing to be an elf for like 20 years uh when i when i come to being in this show and then starting on playing a character that is very close to my heart in terms of his resilience, in terms in terms of his um outsider-ness, um, things like the the overload of of difference, the being not fitting here, not fitting there, and um and a almost blind perseverance. Um I had I had such a such an incredible opportunity to to bring of me inside this very very clear difficult structure hmm. you know that is um i think it's very important to highlight how much craft has mm-hmm. gone into us playing these roles in terms of acting and and being craftsmen and women um, so yeah it was very important for me to bring up myself it's very important for me to to bring my culture It's very important for me to bring other aspects of what classic is um, so what is classic for me is very different from I think uh, from maybe people that have played the elves before mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I infused it with all of that and it helped uh, build a enrich the landscape of what the elves are
0: Io Edebre is having a moment right now. Season two of the smash hit The Bear just debuted. She's starring in the summer movies Theater Camp and Bottoms. She guest starred as Quinta Brunton's sister Aisha on Abbott Elementary. She wrote an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. A lot going on. But let's specifically talk about The Bear, season one, where her character, sous Sidney, came under a lot of pressure in episode seven, which they filmed in one take. On the episode, she found out that a food critic had come through their doors, she messed up their to-go service computer system, and she, oops, accidentally stabbed a coworker. It was an anxiety-inducing episode, and I wondered if they were feeling it while filming.
13: I think it's, um, you know, it's kind of finding that balance of both, uh, that sort of trick of acting, how do you make something that, you know, feel new. Um, and I think with Chris and the way that we shoot, uh, we, if it started to feel too tight, he would either adjust something or just like stop the rehearsal and be like, great, we're good on that part. Let's move along. Um, and I think there definitely was some anxiety from people just being like, wait, we didn't get it perfect. But Chris, I think he, he knew, um, and he, and he's very good at knowing that sort of thing. And, and then uh we did i think like four or five takes um total so so it it was like making sure that we all had comfort and you know felt good about what we had and what we were going to work with but make sure it didn't feel too too locked in yeah um mm-hmm. i think also
0: keep some spontaneity, allow yourself that kind of freedom. Yeah.
13: Yeah. And, uh, you know, then we would also sort of like modulate, uh, our performances or maybe certain moments either up or down, but Chris wouldn't necessarily tell, you know, tell, he would tell us individually. So then it's also Mm -hmm. like we were sort of able to surprise each other, uh, in some moments as well.
0: And it all manifested in what Io thinks was Sydney's defining moment of the season.
13: I feel like there are people who are like, when she quit, when she quit in the seven. Um, But I feel, I look at that moment and I feel like that was more of like a breaking point for her. But I really do love when she comes back at the end because I feel like that, that to me is, is Sydney. Like she's somebody who just wears her heart on her sleeve and and wears her effort on her sleeve and uh she really just wants to be the best that she can be and and even if i, I think about that the end is really f- very funny to me honestly where i'm just like they found this money and then they have the opportunity to get out and they want to make another restaurant. Like, are these people out of their minds? Yes. Um, Yes. But but, so even if it's, (laughs) it's not, you know, the most like sound decision or the the greatest decision for like her mental health or whatever, she's like, this is my dream. Like I'm going to go for it. And I want to work with these people, even though we might not totally understand each other or be like the best for each other. Like I want to make this thing work. Um, and I love that moment too, because it's like, it's just such a nice moment with, with, with between Sydney and Carmi and, and with the whole kitchen crew just being there and just being like in awe of their lives at this moment.
0: And that brings us to Daniel Radcliffe, who starred in the movie Weird, the Al Yankovic story, as the famed singer and spoof songwriter. But make no mistake, this movie, directed by Eric Appel, who co-wrote with Weird Al himself, is not a biopic. It does take seeds of truth about Weird Al, but everything else is thrown out the window for a wild adventure that involves a relationship with Madonna and the Mexican cartel. Here's part of my chat with Radcliffe and Appel. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that uh, playing Weird Al in a biopic was not on your bucket
3: list? Um, yeah. I mean, it certainly wasn't something... Yes, it was not something I I (laughs) could have predicted. Um, but you know that's the the joy of uh, of my job is that y- you know sometimes you get something like this and you go wait what like that was my thing that was the world's the world's first reaction to hearing that I had been cast as Weird Al was my first reaction on being <laughs> offered the part it was just like wait what me um but then as i read it i was like oh right i see why it why this can work why it works with me um and yeah, no, it was uh, not not predicted, but but a, a lovely surprise.
0: Yeah. Well, Eric, why why was uh, Daniel the, uh, the the thought here, the choice?
12: I mean, you know, he's such a a, a great actor that can that can play both drama and comedy. Uh, and obviously, he's carried a movie franchise, you know, as the lead so actor. So I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we we uh, um, you know, Al and I both were, were big fans of his, and. You know, um, Al had seen uh, um, Dan singing uh, the Elements song <laughs> on, uh, on on television, on the Graham Norton show. Um, that's what really sealed the deal for him. But we're just such big fans of, of his entire body of work and felt that he would really um, understand what we were going for. And what we really needed was him to like... Lean into the drama of this character in an absurd way, and that's what's going to make it really funny. And we thought that he just really checked all the uh, all the boxes for us.
0: But then, of course, it was time for the Harry Potter star to become Weird Al. Dan, let's talk about first
3: time slipping into the wig. What was that day like? Um, it was great. I mean, I feel like it was the fir- the first time I had the wig and the 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 Hawaiian shirt and the accordion on all at the same time I I sort of uh, looked myself in the mirror and went like oh yeah okay this can this can work that was like the trifecta of, yeah it's really yeah. like w- when you got all three on it, it, and just two of them doesn't quite do it the three I was like <laughs> oh yeah this is this is very complete now <laughs> um, and uh, yeah I mean it was it was a joy to I remember there was like one there was one day when uh, Roku sent um, like a <laughs> a team, a behind the scenes crew to like record the transformation. And mm. you know, the mustache was my own. So like that was already on and that wasn't on. And, and, and Kat did great makeup on me, but like, wasn't anything like there wasn't anything crazy being done that day on me. And then I already had the wig on. So the guys were just like, well, what, what is that? And I was like, it's mainly, it's already happened. Like it's a wig and it's a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt and it's my accordion, And that's, <laughs> that's really, that's what we're doing. Um, there was a, yeah, there were a huge amount of like amazing, uh, makeups and stuff on on the job but actually like i, I was i was one of the simpler ones but I had the hair department did like an amazing amazing job on 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 that wig um and yeah i wish i wish my hair did that when when it grows long it does not
0: I totally get it. Mine doesn't either. But let me tell you, that is a wildly entertaining movie. You should check that out. And you can find more on all of those interviews at EW.com or you can listen to the full episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That is it for this episode of The Awardist. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We are off next week for the holiday, but we'll be back on July 10th with a new episode where we offer our predictions for Emmy nominations. We'll see you then. This episode of The Awardist Podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.